Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when you have an illustrious career as an attorney and a judge, but you have this deep down desire to put words to paper? You become a novelist, just like my guest in this Friday fun episode. We're going to talk about reinventing your life as a novelist and creating a piece of work that explores old memories, betrayals, mistakes, mischances, a look at how life could have been, all wrapped up in the middle of an impending hurricane. We're going to talk about the journey into creating this intriguing and unique novel. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About The Last First Kiss. in this episode is Walter Bennett. He's a writer and a former lawyer, a judge, and a law professor. His first novel, Leaving Tuscaloosa, won the Alabama Authors Award and was the finalist for the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction and the Crook's Corner Book Prize for Debut Novels set in the American South. He has published short fiction and essays in book print and online journals, including Blackbird, The Courtland Review, Eclipse, and Voices. An essay on trout fishing, Black Quill, appears in A-Stream, American Writers, on fly fishing. He has written numerous articles on law. He has a highly acclaimed book, The Lawyer's Myth, Reviving Ideals in the Legal Profession. And welcome to One More Thing Before You Go Over the Teacup. I am your host, Michael Hurst. This is Nothing About the Last First Kiss. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, you and I have, uh, as I said earlier, you, we kind of have a an interesting background. We both come from a law background and ended up in uh, kind of more of a creative field. I, I would agree with that, although sometimes the law can be creative. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think in my career, in your career both, we've heard some very creative stories. Right. Yeah, right. It's, it, uh, yeah that kind of that grows on you. <laughs> Uh, well, I uh, before we get to your uh, the meat of everything, I kind of like to get to know you a little bit more, and I'll our, let our viewers and our listeners kind of get to know a little bit more about you. So I like to tell your story and how where you know where you came from and, and uh, how you got to where you're at. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is a university town. Um, where the University of Alabama is. My parents were both college teachers. I grew up um, in the um, 50s and early 60s it came of age then, which was a very formative time uh, for the country and uh, also a very formative time for me because of all the uh, social change that was going on there. Uh, so it was a very meaningful uh, time to grow up in a place where a lot was going on. Did you, um, do you have any brothers or sisters? I had a younger sister, yes, uh, and she is uh, living in Durham, not far away from me right now. So you live, you, you, obviously you don't live in Alabama anymore, when you just said Durham, you live in another another state. Well, yes, I live in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where oh. I wound up teaching law for some years back. 
Well, you you have an extensive legal background as a lawyer and a judge um, and a professor, like you had just said. So, uh, when you went to university, did did you always wanted to be a lawyer? No, I actually started out in English graduate school uh, after college. I, I love. I found out that I really love literature and reading in college, and um, I planned to be a an English professor. And I, uh, I was in Vietnam uh, for a couple of years between college and and graduate school, and I remember being uh, in a foxhole near Quezon, sending in my application to University of North Carolina Department of English, and went there uh, with the idea that I would stick it out and become a professor, but I found out that English graduate school was hard work, and it was not nearly as much fun in terms of uh, enjoying literature, I thought, as undergraduate school was, and I thought, well, if I'm going to be grinding it out, I may as well get into something that'll pay me some money and get me a job. So I bailed out and went to law school. That's how that came about. That's um, that's interesting because I figured I, I would assume law school would be more difficult than being an English major. Um, in some ways, yes, but it was also, and, and this may surprise you, I found it more creative than than graduate school. Uh, in English graduate school, at least as it was then, and right. um, it just there were so many more opportunities. You fought on your feet, you know. You you reacted to things. You you uh, in, engaged with other students, and it was it was much more active and um, uh, place. And I thought again, I thought it was a little more creative. Maybe not necessarily in a good way, but I thought it was. Right. And you started your career as a law as a lawyer. That's right. I Defense lawyer or prosecutor? Um, I was mainly a, a civil rights lawyer and did some criminal defense. I never I never prosecuted. Um, uh, I did some civil litigation, but I was a courtroom lawyer fundamentally um, the whole time I practiced. That's interesting. That's cool. Well, I'm, as we said earlier, we have a, we both have a share a background in law. Actually, mine is a, you know, from a different perspective. But when I first went to uh, to school, I actually went to school to be a journalist. My father was a journalist, so oh. everybody said, "Oh, you got to be a journalist. Your dad's a journalist. You got to be a journalist, right?" Right. right. <laughs> I took about a about a semester of that, and I went. You know, I, I saw the guys over there in, in the in the police academy side of it, and I went. You know, I think that looks more fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 so, you know, yeah. I, I switched and must, much to the dismay of my family. But ironically enough, after I left the police department, I've gotten back into writing. So, you know, round, yeah. roundabout, the whole circle came full circle, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, of course, I, you know, both of my parents were college professors. So that's probably why I leaned in that direction first. So what got you first interested in, uh, like, uh, had you always wanted to be an author, for example? What got you interested in writing? Well, I think when I went to college, I, I, I really was so taken with literature and reading, and I hadn't, hadn't had a lot of exposure to that in any deep way before I went to college. And um, I thought, wow, if I could do anything I wanted to do, I would be a writer. But look how smart these guys are. 
and how brilliant they are that we're reading and they're all geniuses and I'm nowhere near that level. So I got to find a different way to make a living. And so that's, that's sort of where the, the, the desire began. But of course the reality of it uh, was a little too much for me to take on at the time. Yeah, I, I, I definitely 100% understand it's, um, I, when I first got out of law enforcement, I, I went into screenwriting because I thought, you know, I, went, I actually took a novel writing class. In the novel writing class, they, you had a one-on-one -on -one with everybody and with the teacher. So I'll get up to my one-on-one -on -one and she said, this novel sucks. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for being honest, right? She said, actually, it would make a better movie. And I said, well, you know, I love writing movies. I love watching movies, so maybe I could write a movie. So I kind of leaned towards the screenwriting side of it and, and uh, kind of developed a couple of uh, screenwriting conferences. And then we developed a couple of uh, film festivals and wrote a documentary and all this kind of thing. So, but, you know, we got waylaid with injury and I kind of put that on the shelf for a little bit. But I'm back to writing, so it's all good. It's all good. It's so good. good. Yeah. And, you know, having, having a a teacher, a writing teacher, to tell you that something you've written sucks. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily a bad beginning, and not an unusual one either. <laughs> exactly, it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Uh, you know, at least you didn't say this is sucks. Get out of my class. You know, get out of my office and don't ever come back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it's uh, I know that you've written uh, both uh, uh, nonfiction and fiction, both. So, uh, did you start out with uh, nonfiction because of your profession? I'm assuming. Well, I, I guess I was trying, you know, off and on to write fiction, uh, um, probably in the '90s and uh, late '80s and '90s, but there was nothing very serious about it. Uh, I think that my efforts, those efforts, as halting as they were and insufficient, were a prelude to writing the uh, book I did on the legal profession which um, is based in large part on the idea of story and the effect of myth and mythology uh, on uh, professional life. So I, I think that they both sort of informed each other, but I'm not sure I could have written that nonfiction book without first having an interest in story and fiction and particularly myth, which is what I was interested in at the time, um, myth being a way of expressing, uh, a culture expressing its ideals. So I guess that's uh, sort of how that came about. Nothing is any, you know, perfectly linear progression. It all sort of rumbles along and <laughs> things happen. I'm Every, not sure. Everything <laughs> happens at the time it's supposed to, right? I hope that's right. <laughs> I, I, I believe that I'm I, I'm hoping it's right. <laughs> At least that's what I keep getting told and reaffirmed. We'll have to see. Um, journey still the journey is still on its way, right for both of us. So I, I guess think we'll, I think that is true. We're never over. I would say yeah. Exactly. Um, so, what motivated you to write your first fiction book? Because that's cause when you go from I mean I've written nonfiction, and uh, but I've never written a fiction book. I've written stories when I went through those classes I told you about. Um, so kind of what motivated you to write an, a, a fiction book to go that direction? Um, I think 
it goes way back into my childhood because uh, when I was a kid, um, on both sides of my family, relatives, uncles, grandparents, and neighbors even were all storytellers. And um, uh, when I was 11 years old, I got sent uh, up to uh, my grandfather's tobacco farm near Danville, Virginia, um, uh, every summer until I became 16 and could get a, a job in Tuscaloosa. And those summers, um, on weekends, um, Sundays usually, people would gather on the front porch and they'd tell stories about the family, about characters in the community, about, um, you know, old old bird dogs or something. It was the right. constant old stories. And I just got that way of communicating and passing on information and connecting with people in my head. So I think that's where it began. And I started telling stories to myself and redoing the stories that I had been hearing uh, and start turning other information I was getting into stories. I think so it just sort of bubbled up from all of that. The incident um, that the first novel is based on uh, is, is, is based upon an incident that occurred um, when I was a teenager in Tuscaloosa. And um, this is a, a tough story to tell, but I was in a car with, I think, three, maybe four other teenage boys, all of us white kids, cruising around on some weekend night. And we went through a, a black section of town, uh, which was just a, a way we went to get from one place to another. And there was a black guy, young black guy, walking along the side of the road. And one of the guys in the car with me had uh, a carton of eggs. And he brought those along for one purpose, and that was to throw it at people. And particularly, I think, although this was not stated, I don't think, when we started, at black people. And I'm guessing, although I don't recall specifically, that that's why we were there. Uh, anyway, he threw the egg, one of the eggs, and hit this black guy walking beside the road in the back of his head. Um, and we sped off, and the guy chased us. And I remember, I was in the back seat, I remember turning around and looking. And here's this black guy chasing carload of white kids up the road. He had no chance of catching us, of course. But something about that and what had happened, what we had done, you know, sort of turned the turret in my head and something clicked that life was very, very different from what I had been imagining that it was. It was much more complicated than that and that I didn't really know much about it at all. And I had almost no understanding of uh, how it felt to be someone else. I mean, I guess it was my first inkling of real empathy for um, someone else, and particularly someone of another race who had been humiliated by the horrible thing we had done. And that's really stuck with me. I think memories like that that are shameful and painful to you really hang. And so that's where 
uh, that novel began, and uh, I don't know how much you know of it, but the scene I've just described of the kids in the car throwing the egg at the black guy um, is probably the second or third chapter in the novel after sort of the introductory part of it. And that begins a story. Um, so that's that that story stuck with me over the years and I realized I tried to write novels about other things. I realized that I had to write that story before I really wanted could go do something else. Um, so yeah, that's that's where that one began. And very profound actually. Is that what made you would that motivate you to become a civil rights lawyer? Um, I guess that and the fact that um, my parents uh, were college teachers. My father taught at the University of Alabama. My mother taught at Stillman College, which was an all-black college in Tuscaloosa. They would have been absolutely horrified if they knew what I was out doing that night. I mean, any sort of racial uh, statements that were uh, derogatory in any way were totally forbidden so all of that, I think, my background with the parents uh, being sort of, at least in that era, liberals for their day, uh, and my own experience of hanging with folks that just weren't like that and, and behaving like they did and then seeing how bad it was. Um, yes, I suspect that it had a lot to do with me becoming mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah. it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. We grew up in we grew up the same. Kind of the same. Arena. Arena. I. I. I guess I said be back here. One second. I'm going to pause it. Pause it. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So yeah, it. Um, I remember. I, I grew up. My. I have a lot of family from the south, Mississippi in particular, and um, I grew up in an environment where my father uh, was from Pennsylvania. And my mother's side of the family was from West Virginia, but uh, my grandfather, all of his family were, were, you know, all of his family were Southern. And um, it was it was difficult to grow up in that era and be friends with black people because of the environment that was there. Um, I am not racist, and I got have a few scuffles for being friends with black people, unfortunately, at that time. But I, I commend you for standing up for that. That's, that's, a, that's a positive thing. So thank you. Um, when you you started writing your fiction, and in, in, in nonfiction, obviously, um, do you have a preference? Do you, do you really enjoy writing the fiction now more than nonfiction, or are you, are you okay with both? Uh, I, I enjoy writing fiction more now it's it's uh there's more risk in it and um you, you really are sort of out there winging it <laughs> on your own and uh you know there's there's no uh limit to where your imagination can go i think uh at least for me writing nonfiction and the nonfiction of course that i was writing was quasi academic so right. it was much more stringent stringent and, and uh Restricted, I guess, in terms of what I could do in other nonfiction. I've been reading on some nonfiction recently that just wonderfully 
beautifully done and very imaginative and just uh, terrific writing. So I, I guess that when I say nonfiction, I'm talking about the kind of nonfiction I did, which was about lawyers and law, the legal profession. Well, I, and I agree with that. It, it, you know, I, I think anything that's not um, any technical manuals, any educational manuals, any academic manuals are, are all nonfiction um, and so forth. I, uh, um, I I prefer reading fiction than I do nonfiction. Unfortunately, obviously, going through university, I had to read a lot of <laughs> a lot of nonfiction and academic, and had to write a lot of academic. Um, and, and I, I kind of agree with you. I kind of like the fiction side of it much better. So, are you married? I am. Uh, kids? I have two kids. One's a lawyer, <laughs> although she uh, does not uh, actually practice. She, she is a, an advocate and works in an advo advocate's role with a few charitable trusts. And my son is a, a, an editor. Um, Freelance editor. Very cool. Yeah. Got a little mixture of both. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what works. Uh, what was your motivation for, um, let's say, uh, the, the book now? I mean, what, what was your motivation to, to kind of write the first last kiss? Well, <laughs> uh, that sort of fell together. I, I've been working on another book, another novel. In fact, one that I started even before the first novel, Leaving Tuscaloosa. And this this novel that I have been working on for so long is a, a tough novel, very uh, involved and uh, complicated. And I think I reached a point where uh, it wasn't coming very well, and then suddenly this other story began to intrude, which is the one that became The Last First Kiss. I think that came out of two things. One is um, I ran into my high school sweetheart at a high school reunion, and we sort of, you know, began to talk about the old days, and I began to realize how important at that time in my life that relationship was. It was, you know, it was a young love thing, but it really <coughs> transformed me because I was wandering in the wilderness when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Absolutely in a totally lost adolescent trance. I, I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't found something to get me straightened out. And then about the time that was happening, I had lunch with a friend of mine named Craig Nova, who's a terrific writer, uh, is uh, on right. And um, I was t he'd been to visit a house that we on on the outer banks of North Carolina, and he said how much he liked being there. And I said, "Well, it's a it's a nice place, but it's doomed because you know, the seas rising, storms are coming in, and sooner or later that house will not be there." And he said, "Wow, that's a terrific idea for a story or a novel, a doomed house." So and you're talking about him. <laughs> right. Well, he did. He, he, I got to it before he did. But, but he, uh, those two, those two things sort of came together at the same time. And so I thought, okay. So these uh, these two folks get together and they they spend the weekend in this doomed house. Now, how do I bring that about? And so that's how it started. 
That's pretty interesting, actually. And as a as a domestic violence investigator for four years, I got to ask this question: Did that cause any rift between you and your wife? Oh no, 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 <laughs> not at all. Yes, actually, she uh, the uh, former sweetheart. I mean, that was many, many years ago. She and and my wife are also friends. In fact, they knew each other before uh, either of them knew. Yeah, it's it's. I'm uh, actually this week. I spend my thirty second wedding anniversary, and uh, we're still friends. My wife and I both, and my kids, are friends with my ex wife. So, that's right. Yeah, life is good. That's the way it should be, right? Right. As as I've done some domestic law, and believe me, that's not the norm. That's not normal. (laughs) Four years of domestic violence task force. That yeah, that's definitely not normal. But it really should be. It, it's, yeah. you know, just, just sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes things work out for the better in another way. So it's all, it's all yeah. good. Um, what do you do to prepare for writing a fiction book? I mean, what's your process? Well, I don't know that I, yeah, I wish I could say that I have this uh, ritual or, or some sort of um, progression that I go through to get ready to write something. I don't. And I think I pay for that because I spend a lot of time as I go reconfiguring what I'm doing and, and trying to flesh out the story and having to drop a lot of things that you know don't go anywhere. So it's a lot of fumbling about with me. Um, you know, I admire writers who can um, tell you before they begin a book what the ending is going to be, and they know that. And they know how they're going to get there. And uh, I have a vague idea, usually. Right. But I have to write a story to find it. See, I, I think that uh, that would be the hardest part about writing fiction. Is, is kind of, I mean, when you write an academic paper or you write a, a, a nonfiction book, you, you lay it out. And you, have, you know what you're going to put into it. You know what the beginning is. You know what the end is. You know how to fill it in in the middle. And um, in, a, in a fiction, you, I think you would have to have this is hopefully I'll learn something here. You have to. Um, do you think you have to have the whole thing laid out? Like I, I know that I want this to be the ending, or and that's what I'm working toward. Yeah, I, I do not have the whole thing laid out, and um, you know, this in this last book, I wasn't even sure um, whether this couple, these two people, who spend this long weekend together were actually going to wind up together and then it became fairly clear as I neared the end that if this was going to be a story with an arc and an ending that that probably had to happen although I've been told by other writers that no it didn't <laughs> you could have ended it without that and it would have been okay uh, but you've got I, a lot of good, great reviews on the book so you know I, I would take reviews everybody's got an opinion Right. Everything, right. as you know, is going to resonate with other people. So um, the reviews that I've read on it have all been very positive. Well, thank you. Yeah, they have been good. Uh, I've been very pleased with that. Do you Actually, think, from your first book to this book, do you think it got easier? I'm sorry? Do you think from your first book to this book it got it has gotten easier? No. Uh, it has not gotten easier. Uh, it's still a, a real... Um, uh, struggle for me a lot of the time and and that's okay uh, you know I, I find out that that's just part of the process for me uh, it the, the trick is when I really start to struggle or when I think I'm 
hit a dead end is to not give up and to come at it again. And sometimes that means leaving it for a little while and coming back. Came up just there too. Yeah, I remember my father writing a novel, but unfortunately he passed away before he could finish it. But um, I remember he it was in a drawer, and it was like, don't touch this drawer. It was the golden rule, right? Leave this drawer alone. <laughs> it's like, hey, I just want to see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was back when you, when you save something, you had to print it out and, or, or you had to type it out and, yeah, and keep it in the drawer. Yeah, you, you messed that up. It's done. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah that, was, that was interesting. That's a unique memory I just had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, um, do you, uh, you still teach? No, I haven't taught since, uh, I guess, I can't, I've almost forgotten exactly what the date was, but it was sometime around the, uh, 2001 or 2002. It's been a long time since I taught. You've been writing since then? Yep, writing. It's a great and, way uh, to retire, right? And, you know, sit back, relax, write your story. And... Well, yeah, except that it's not really relaxing. Uh, no, it's... Um, People ask me, you know, to compare uh, sort of the workload of writing and lawyering, and for sure, and, and even law teaching, for sure, it's much more intense. Uh, I mean, for a long periods of time, as a um, as a, law, a lawyer and judge, and so forth. I mean, you really are on the job, and you got to be there. But as a writer, uh, you get. I get, to, and I imagine a lot of writers do, totally lost in it. And your mind doesn't stop. I mean, you know, it really keeps writing. And uh, I, I wake up at night, you know, and stories are coming or something has broken through in the story. Um, so I guess that's true in a lot of professions. But uh, with writing, it does really seem to never really let you go. Just sort of always doing it or about to do it or it's going on in the back of your mind when you're trying to carry on a conversation with someone. Right. Do, you, do you write every day? I try to, and, I, and that's important. Uh, and that uh, is even on weekends, although, you know, of course, I miss days and I take off of those days. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it is a discipline, and it's important for me to look at it that way. So, yeah, I try to write every day. On your process, do you, um, because I, I just from other authors I've spoken with, do you edit as you go, or do you just put it all out, let it sit there, let it fester, and then go back and edit? Uh, a little, I guess I do both sometimes. Um, right now, I am working on what is probably the 20th or 30th draft, at least, I'd say, the 20th or 30th draft of this big novel I was telling you about. I've had complete drafts of it a number of times and decided it wasn't right. Um, and so I'm revising every day is a revision uh, of that. Um, it, I, I reach places where I just scrap what's there and start over on a chapter, but it's all that's all revision. When I'm writing sort of a new story that I've not been over before, um, I go in fits and starts. You know, I'll write um, what uh, has come to me, and then I, if I start to, if I get stuck, I may go back and work my way back up again. So 
Um, I think I don't have a formula uh, uh, that applies every day. I might do something different every day just to get back into it and, and go from, from wherever. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that you. It would, it um, would um, be difficult. Be difficult to to try to edit. I mean, I used to be really. When I was doing my papers uh, in college, for example, in university, and I'm sure a lot of people do the same thing, I would write a page and then go, wait a minute, there's a mistake up there. And then I go back and fix the mistake, and then I go, well, there's another one, or there's this, and no, this doesn't sound right. And it used to take me forever when I first started writing papers for university, for my master's degree especially, because they needed to be so, you know, precise and cited and, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and I finally had to learn, just write it, yeah, and then go back all at once and have to fix it because I was spending hours. My wife be going, "Are you going to bed yet? <laughs> you know, two o'clock in the morning, please." <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah. yeah I, I think you can, and I, I try to avoid this. I think you can get so focused on making everything you've done right that you don't keep moving forward. And when when I'm doing that, I'm in trouble. I, I need to. Story needs to keep going. I agree with that. I agree with that. It's interesting. Do you miss practicing law? You know, I do. Uh, I, I, well, I haven't really thought about it a lot recently, but I, yeah, I really miss practicing law. I, I, I miss being in the courtroom, and you know as well as I do, it's a place of high drama and yeah. uh, stories unfolding all the time. And I'd got to the point uh, before I stopped actually practicing law that. I was really, uh, I felt comfortable on my feet. And when I walked into a courtroom, I felt like I knew what I was doing and I was competent and I wasn't intimidated. Um, and that was a really good feeling. Um, and then, you know, uh, not long after that, I became a law professor. And um, that was sort of the, the end of most of my trial lawyering. Changes perspective. Yeah. Definitely changes perspective. Yeah, I had friends of mine that got that they are still off. They were still officers, but then they moved to the police academy as an instructor, and they kind of went, you know, I I really missed the street. When I left the police department, I didn't want to retire because I retired with disability. I didn't want to leave the street. In fact, we'd be driving home, and I'd be calling cars, and then they're going, Sarge, you're making more arrests now than when you were working. <laughs> you got to stop this. <laughs> Uh, so just retire, go relax, go sit down, go have a cup of tea, go have a cup of coffee. Um, yeah, it's difficult to kind of move forward, but I, I'm sure that uh, getting lost in your in your fiction, getting lost in your writing, kind of helps. For sure, yeah. And uh, uh, I keep thinking, you know, I keep asking myself, why have I not written a novel about law, about you know, a case? Or a lawyer, and uh, there is a lawyer that appears in this uh, a big novel I'm working on. He's a uh, 18th and 19th century the Civil War era lawyer. But other than that, I haven't done that. Um, but you know, uh, one one thing that law and uh, writing fiction have in common is stories, and uh, they're both just alive with stories, and so uh, I, I see a continuity there. Especially <laughs> the approach, of course. Yeah, I agree. With yeah, that. I agree with that. 
it kind of it kind of allows for creative writing, right? From that perspective, it kind of gives you a new idea of how you can incorporate things and so forth. Um, what do you recommend to other writers who are like just jumping on this this train, basically this writing train? You know, people have asked me that, and the, catch, the question catches me totally by surprise because I can't imagine I have anything to say to a writer that would be very helpful other than, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if I can do it, you can do it because I you know, I went about it uh, in such a haphazard way, and I still go about it in a fairly haphazard way, and you, you don't have to be brilliant to write, but you do have to be conscientious and you have to keep at it, and you have to keep trying, I think, to change and improve what you do. I, I went to a lot of uh, workshops and um, had some really good teachers. And what I found was that they pretty much, uh, um, at least Smith, a friend of mine and a terrific writer and writing teacher, said that what she felt she had to do as a teacher was give people permission to write and encouragement to write. Um, and I think that is sort of the first step. And you've got to do that for yourself, too. And you've got to give yourself permission and encouragement because most of the time, unless you really are successful, you don't get it. You know, you're, you're spending most of your days alone and, um, and it's a it's very easy to be self-critical and create all sorts of self-doubt uh, because, you, again, unless you're famous and, you, and you're publishing regularly and in demand, um, you don't know whether anybody's going to read what you're writing or not. And if they do, whether they'll think it's worth anything or not. Yeah. So sticking with it, uh, don't being discouraged, finding the story you want to tell, uh, Try, trying to to um, gin up a story or conjure a story from somewhere is tough. I think that it needs to come from something that uh, really grabs you. And with me, that's memories in my past that, um, that engender a story. Um, not necessarily about me, but, but engender a story that I can tell. Well, plus so, you, you have from, from the first book that you wrote and even the last one that the, the first last kiss it comes from personal inspiration personal experience that you've turned into a broader spectrum of of love and understanding and compassion and empathy and opportunity and and uh, life journeys i think that, yeah and that's a, i appreciate that statement and that's what i would like to think i'm doing and uh without uh, appearing to be a self-focused or uh, narcissistic or even a um, uh, true-to-life recounting of what I what I experienced or the story that got things going. Um, I think that's right. Uh, so, what inspires you? Um, I think what you said about uh, the life journey. I see uh, both of the novels I've written. And for that matter, the book on the legal profession has largely about people coming to consciousness about themselves and about other people and about the reality realities of life. 
Um, and um, beginning going back to that story I just told about um, the night in Tuscaloosa when I was involved in that incident that affected me so much. Uh, that was a, a, a seminal moment of coming to consciousness for one of the first times in my life where I really went, came awake. And I think um, when I began to understand what, what happened in that, on that evening and what happened to me that evening, I think I've tried to see my life as, um, as, as you've said, a journey where you become more and more conscious of yourself and people around you and, and life. Um, and so the last novel, <clears throat> um, which takes place uh, between these two people in their 70s, uh, they are looking back over that journey and trying to figure out what happened in their lives. And uh, that process, I hope, if the story is told correctly, um, is a coming to consciousness story for them, even in their older, elder years. So yeah, I think that's the inspiration, is trying to find a deeper level of consciousness by writing and trying. You know, that um, there's a terrific book uh, on William Faulkner out called The Saddest Word, and I'm trying to remember the name of the author now. It's a great book. Anyway, he concludes about William Faulkner, uh, who you know, said some very embarrassing racist things in his life, that his fiction was much more incisive about race, much more humane and understanding about racial relations than the author himself was as a man. And I think that the best of times writing fiction takes you to a deeper level of consciousness about humanity and life and all sorts of things uh, than frequently some of us, at least I think I'm in that category, are able to do just by walking through life and washing dishes and uh, taking out the garbage. <laughs> Two of my favorite jobs. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there, been there, done that. Yes, I understand. <laughs> That's a great, I mean, that's, that's, that's profound. I like that. I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about how someone can find you or about you and how to find your books, especially the first, the last first kiss. Uh, well, <clears throat> it's available on Amazon and uh, through Bookshop, which uh, I urge people to consider because it's a uh, association of independent bookstores, <clears throat> so you support smaller independent bookstores by buying through bookshop. Um, my website is um, http colon uh, slash slash colon www.walterbennettauthor.com and it has a lot of information about me and in fact you can click on either Amazon or um, bookshop from the website and, and purchase the novel. Um, so I think, I hope that that website is comprehensive enough that it tells you what you might need to want to know about me. And also, um, it uh, tells you where I'm uh, going to appear for readings and so forth. Hopefully this fall, if COVID will allow that, and if not, maybe in the spring. 
Well, I'll make sure I have all that in the show notes for everybody so it makes it easier for them to click on it. And that will take you right to your website. And that way they can find out more about you, your books, and how to get them, as well as um, your appearances and so forth. So I'll have that there. Walter, this is one more thing before you go. So prior to us going, do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to share? Uh, no, I don't know that I do other than what I've tried to say, except that writing is a splendid uh, way to spend time. And um, I urge people who have the urge to do it, to give it a try if you haven't. And if you have, stick with it. and. Uh, you just never know what will come up. Those are good words of wisdom, I think. And especially nowadays when, um, like we just spoke about earlier, when my dad used to write with a typewriter. I used to write with a typewriter. If you messed up, it was a pain in the butt. <laughs> you know, now you have a computer. If you mess up, you start over. <laughs> right. You hit the delete button. You don't have to use the little white paper you used to have to put in the typewriter. Exactly, or the, or the whiteout. Whiteout, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, the, the good old days, right? Right. Walter, thank you very much for spending uh, the, uh, this time with me, and I really appreciate it. I think that uh, you have some uh, amazing talent, and I think everybody should check you out and look for your books and check out the first one and the last one, um, First Last Kiss. And I, I uh, again, thank you for sharing your journey with me and with my audience. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate you. Please be sure to follow us. Subscribe. It's free. You can find us not only here on YouTube, but on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, and any of your other favorite listening platforms. Please download our free app in the iTunes Store and on Google Play. It's free. You can take one more thing before you go anywhere that you go. Compliments of Superpass, our sponsor. You'll find all the details in the show notes and on onemorethingbeforeyougo.com as well as BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved. 